but I'm super honored to be here, be able to share with you. I bring you greetings from Las Vegas. There are Christians and churches in Las Vegas, and uh, I'm living proof of that. And so God's doing some great stuff there. But, you know, I was thinking back to a while back when I was um, in the best shape of my life. Some of you right now, you're on a workout kick. You're trying to get it together. Like, I was in the best shape of my life. It was when I was working out this old YMCA. Not this really, like, nice, fancy YMCAs like they do today. The old ones, you know. And I was down in the basement where the weights were and the fluorescent lights and, you know, the whole deal. And, and there was this big, huge guy. He would come in at noon when I was there. I was the only guy there in the basement. He'd come in at noon, and we'd, we'd kind of work out in the same room. We were too cool to talk to each other, but we were in the same room, you know, working out. And so this went on for a while. And then one day, I'm in the middle of my workout, and... This guy looked like the Hulk. You know, he comes over, he goes, hey, will you spot me on the bench press? Now, spot somebody on the bench press means that they're like laying down, they're pushing that bar up, and you're going to stand right behind them. And if they get in trouble with the weight of that bar, you're going to grab that bar and lift it up and get it up on the rest, help, give, help them get it up on that rest so they don't get hurt doing the bench press, right? So he's put so much weight on this bar. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll spot you. You know, okay, okay. So I go over, and he kind of lays down, and, and uh, he says, I'm, I'm not going for uh, a lot of reps. I'm just going to max out. I'm like, okay, bro. No problem. So he gets that bar, and he does one rep, all good, two reps. About the third rep, he gets about halfway up, and he just stops. Remember, he's, he's laying there, and I'm sort of standing over him. He says, little help here. I'm like, that's my cue. <laughs> so you're supposed to bend with your knees, keep your back straight. You don't want to hurt yourself, right? You're supposed to grab this bar and lift it up and get it on that rest. So I grab the bar and lift, and nothing happens. <laughs> so... You know, I pull and nothing happens. And then the bar drops about a half inch and I pull again. Nothing happens. He says, a little help here. And I'm pulling and pulling and pull. I'm giving it everything I got. Finally, I go like, that's all I got, bro. I, I, I can't help you. You know, like you want me to go to the front desk, let somebody know. I mean, this guy's got massive weight on this bar, right? And he's just looking at me, and I'm thinking, this is not good. You know, his veins are popping out, his face is all red. And so he does this weightlifter move, because I found out later he was a professional weightlifter who had, who had been in peak shape and then kind of dropped off and was now getting back into it. But, but he, uh, he drops his right, he keeps his left arm up just enough so that the bar doesn't crush his chest, drops his right arm, just completely goes limp, and slides over so that the bar hits the, the bench. And when it does... You know, he has just enough height on the bar that the weights slide off of it. And when all the weights slide off of the right side, then like lightning speed, this is where people break ribs and wrists and everything else, that bar just flies out of control to the left. He slides over then where the bar hits the bench on the left side, all the weights fall off on the left side, and he stands up and throws the bar across the gym. And then he turns around and he looks at me. And I'm thinking like I'm dead, it, you know. It happened in an old YMCA down in the basement, you know, like. He walks over to me and he says, we're gonna work out together. And you know what I said in that moment? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> we're gonna work out together, right? So he says, meet me here at noon tomorrow. Cause he, we already were already uh, around at noon. I said, okay, I'll come back at noon. So noon the next day I show up, we start working out together. This guy pushed me. He stretched me. Like he, you know, he worked me hard. And when he found out I was a, I was a follower of Jesus, oh, he loved that. You know, he would, I'd be right in the middle of something because he wasn't really a believer. I'd be right in the middle of something and, and, you know, doing bench press. And he'd say, like, give me, give me three more if you really love Jesus. <laughs> Do it for Jesus. You know, and I, I remember, like, I got the bar right there. I'm like, oh, you want to go there, son. 
you want to make it about that, stand back. You know, now I felt like every time I did, the, I did an extra rep, I was like declaring my faith to this guy. You know, I was showing him I was for real. So this went on for a long time. After about three months, I was in the best shape of my life. Now, I remember days where I was completely broken down. I remember days going out to my car and I could barely get my keys out of my pocket because my arms were so shot from lifting weights, right? You ever had days like this? I remember I couldn't hardly get my key to go in the ignition of the car because I'm like missing, you know, like, I can do it. Just focus. I remember like one night saying to my wife, Lori, I said, honey, would you brush my teeth? Because I can't lift my hands. I got nothing left. He broke me down, right? He stretched me to the max. I, he took me to the wall physically, and the end result was I was able to build back up, and I became the strongest I had ever been in my life. Now, you've been in a series talking about how sometimes we're stretched. Sometimes your faith is stretched. Sometimes your life is stretched. But listen, God sometimes allows us to be stretched. He allows us to be broken down. He allows us to come to a wall physically or emotionally. Why? So that he can build you back up stronger than you ever were before for the purpose that he has for you in the future right? Sometimes he brings you to the end of yourself so that you'll realize that's where he begins is where you end. And so sometimes he, he will stretch us in our lives. And I want to talk to you today about how that stretching can work powerfully in our life. Sometimes you're, some of you are up against a wall right now in your life. Maybe, maybe not a physical wall, maybe an emotional wall. Maybe you feel like you're up against a wall at work. Like you just can't climb higher. You can't get around this boss. You can't get down the road anymore. Some of you are up against an emotional wall where you just you feel like you can't get around. Some of you feel like that's your marriage. You know, like you used to talk. There used to be love in the air. There used to be romance. You to be game on now it's something else you know you don't know what like you know, used to be running to the fields to the sound of music right and and now you're running to the fields to I don't know the sound of Metallica or something like it's bad right it's not good whatever's happening now is not it there's a wall there sometimes you feel a wall in your family with relationships kids and Man, you pray for God to take that wall down. You wish that wall would come down, and you don't really understand like, why is that wall there? Why hasn't it come down? Why has it got? Some of you feel that way about your dream in your life. You've been going after that dream. You've been pursuing that dream, but you just keep coming up against these walls, and you're like, God, why don't you bring that wall down? Listen, just because you're up against a wall, that doesn't mean you're outside of God's will. Just because you're up against a wall, it doesn't mean you're not right where God wants you to be. And a great example of that is in the Old Testament, book of Joshua, chapter 6, which is where we're going to kind of hang out today in the Bible. Joshua, chapter 6, the Israelites are moving into the promised land. How many of us want to receive the promise that God has for us in our lives? How many of us want to live in the promise that God has for us in our lives? How many of us want to move into that promise, right, that God has for us in our lives? But here's the thing. The very first thing that happens when the Israelites are moving into the promised land. They go across the Jordan River, and you know what's there? Boom, a wall. Just because there's a wall in your life doesn't mean you're outside now of God's will or purpose or plan or promise. The Israelites were right where God wanted them to be, and that was right in front of a big old wall, and that wall was called the city of Jericho. And the principle was if you can't even take the first city of the promised land, you're never going to claim all that God has for you. So how are you going to deal with this wall? How are you going to deal with this city? Now, the walls of Jericho were ancient. Some scholars say that it's one of the oldest cities that we know of. This is a city that, uh, according to archaeology, 
mythology basically had two walls around it. It had one wall that was huge and tall, and then after that wall, there was a berm that went straight up and another wall. So you're not getting over the first wall, but if you did by some crazy miracle, we'll take you out on this berm before you ever get to the base of the next wall, and you're not getting over that wall. Like this wall wasn't going to fall. And so the Israelites, what are they going to do? Well, God gives them this battle plan. He says, look, I want you to march around the city of Jericho one, once a day for six days. Then on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times, blow the horn, and I'm going to bring the wall down. And so they're like, okay, so, so that's what they do. Let's check it out. Joshua chapter 6, verse 14. It says, on the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. And they followed this pattern for six days. And you've got to know there's some grumbling in the ranks, right? They're just... What are you doing? We're waking up and we walk around and then we come back to camp and that's it. Like, that's all we do. Because uh, even though they're the people of God, they are still people. Hello. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priest shouted the long, uh, sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Now, there's a lot here, but first I want you to just realize God brought the walls down. There is no wall in your life that is bigger than your God. He's bigger than the past. He's bigger than the present. He's bigger than the future. He's bigger than the president. He's bigger than Wall Street and Main Street. He's bigger than the thunder. He's bigger than the cowboys. He's bigger than the cubs. He's bigger than the Steelers. He's bigger than your paycheck. He's bigger than your debt. He's bigger than your car problems. He's bigger than your drama. He's bigger than all the stuff flying around in our lives. He's big and powerful, and he is bigger than that wall in your life. So listen, God can take you over that wall. God can take you under that wall. God can take you through that that wall. God can turn that wall into a waterfall and let you walk through that wall. God can bring the wall down all around you, or you may not need what's on the other side of that wall, and God may say, that wall is going to stay right there, son. You go back the other way. Sometimes when we come up against the wall, it's our past, and it's our failures, and it's our circumstances that start to haunt us, that cause us to start doubting it caused us to start thinking, maybe, you know, maybe this is what I deserve. Maybe this is just my lot in life. Maybe my sins, my failures, the family I come from, maybe all this, this is just going to be, this is the wall. I'm just never going to get past this wall. And you know who would have thought that way? That would have been Rahab. And if you notice, the last sentence we read was that Rahab was a prostitute whose family was spared. Did you read that? Did you see that when we read that? Now, this would have been shocking in the ancient world. Like, what? Well, well what? So you got to go back a little earlier in the story to pick it up. But Rahab reminds us that your past is not your potential. It's God's grace that sets your potential. So first thing when you come up against a wall is simply this. Look past your past. Look past your past. Uh, Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show asked people to go on social media and use the hashtag don't judge me and talk about things in their life that they've done that they you know, just don't want to be judged for. And I thought some of them were uh, pretty funny. One person says this, I alternate between two McDonald's for lunch so the employees don't think I eat there every day. You wouldn't want the employees to think you're, you're a regular. 
Here's another one. This woman says, sometimes when I'm sick of doing laundry, I just fold my husband's dirty clothes and put them back. <laughs> now that ain't right. That ain't right. All right, here's, here's another one. Uh, I told my kids my ice cream was spicy, so I didn't have to share it. Don't judge me. Uh, I kind of love that, right? You're, you're welcome, parents. Like with little kids, you'd be like, it's, it's a little spicy. You don't, you don't want this to burn you. I'll have another bite for myself. Don't judge me. You ever feel like that in your life? Like, don't, don't judge me. Look, you, you don't know the road I've walked. You don't know the family I come from. You don't know the drama I face. You don't know the mountains I've overcome just to be here and be alive. Don't judge me, right? You don't know what people have said to me. You don't know what people have done to me. You don't know what I've been through. Just don't judge me. Well, here's Rahab, right? Rahab's life would have been hashtagged, don't judge me. Now, well, here's the story. You go back a little earlier in Joshua 6, and we meet Rahab there for the first time. She's living, it says, in the wall. Now, scholars have debated, like, what does that mean? For a long time, they said, well, maybe the wall is, like, big enough, thick enough, and it was thick, the wall of Jericho, that they actually had little homes and places inside the wall. Then they excavated the, the city in the middle part of the last century when they actually found the ancient city of Jericho, and they realized there's an outer wall, and, and then there's an inner wall, and there's this berm between the two. So maybe that's where she lived, like, in the wall, between the wall. Here's what we know is it wasn't the swanky part of town. And so these spies are going to go, they're going to cross the Jordan River, and then the spies are going to go into the city of Jericho, and their mission is to get intelligence, get whatever they, they can get, and then get back out. Now, this was a big deal because their lives were on the line. And so they would have taken off anything that made them look Hebrew in identification, right? And they would have dressed like traveling merchants. And you gotta really imagine this whole scene where they go into the city of Jericho and they try to find their, they try to gather intelligence. Gotta imagine it with Mission Impossible music in the background, have the full effect. So, you know, like dun, 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 so they're going in, right? It's undercover. They're doing their thing. It's all on the line now. If they get caught, they get tortured. If they get caught, they die. You know, like this is risky business. And what we read is they go into the city of Jericho and they go to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Now, look, if you're reading the Bible the way I read the Bible, which is with my eyes open, I'm thinking like, what are two good little Jewish boys doing rocking up to a prostitute's house in the ancient world? And I think it's because that's where traveling merchants went. Like, they're trying to blend in, right? They're trying to be invisible. And so they're probably coming in with these traveling merchants. They're just kind of going with the flow. Like, we're undercover, right? And they're going to lay low, and then they're going to scout out the town and report back what's going on because they need to know what they're facing. Well, people see them go to Rahab's house. They figure out immediately, like, okay, these guys are Israelite guys. Like, we got spies in our city. Word goes to the king. King sends his men to Rahab's house. And, you know, they're knocking on the door. She goes to the door. Now, she's, she's got a choice. She turned these guys over, and, you know, she's fine then. Or does she step out in faith and try to protect them? Rahab opens the door. She hides the two men. And uh, they say, you know, we've heard that these men came to your house. And she's very smart. She doesn't deny it. She says, oh, yeah, yeah, they were here. They were here. Because she knows people. People saw them come in. I can't deny that. 
And then she gives them like the oldest line of the book. She says, look, they, they went that away. And I love this. You kind of read it in the story. She says, like, if you hurry, you can catch them. And so she sort of redirects them, right? Like, here goes the king's men. They're off. You know, they're on a mission. And then she goes back to these men, and she makes this amazing statement of faith. She says, look, I believe that the Lord your God is the supreme God of heaven and earth. Amazing statement of faith. And so the spies make a deal with her. And they say, look, we're going to take this city. God's going to give it to us. But when he does, we're going to spare you. We're going to protect you and your family. Listen, if she's going to move forward in the future God would have for her, she's got to deal with her past, right? She's going to have to deal with all this stuff that's gone on. She's going to have to kind of wrestle through who she is and her identity and who she will be in the future and for all of us in our lives, if we're going to move into God's promise in the future, we got to look past the past. In fact, if you want to, some of us, we're, we're looking to the past right now. You're looking to a past breakup. You're looking to a past divorce. You're looking to some past abuse. You're looking at things that were said to you or done to you or that you experienced. You're looking at past failures, past sins. And so you come up against a wall and you're like, man, I, this is just, I deserve this. I'm no better than this. I should get this because of the past. You can let the past paralyze you in the present and rob you of the future. Or you can give your past to God. You can look past your past to his past. And what did he do in the past? Christ came. Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose again. And you say, I'm going to live there. Look, next time you're tempted by the past, okay, remember this. What God did in the past is way more important than what you did in the past, right? What God did in the past is way more important. And how dare, me, how dare I come along and say, like, you know what? I'm glad Jesus died on the cross and all that. That was cool, but I don't know, man. That wasn't, that wasn't as significant as my sin. I mean, we'd all say, like, dude, that, that's not right. We got to remember what God did in the past is way bigger than what we did in the past. And so I'm going to receive that gift of salvation. I'm going to receive his forgiveness. I'm going to walk in it. And I'm not going to let the past paralyze me anymore. You're going to hear those voices from the past, right? You're going to hear them begin to play in your life. You're going to hear them whisper in your ear. And sometimes you just got to preach to yourself. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said this. He said, look, uh, we, sometimes we got to talk to ourselves more than we listen to ourselves. What he meant is sometimes you just got to speak God's word to yourself more than you let the past speak in your ear. You got to remind yourself, look, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works. That's what the Bible says. He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. That's what the Bible says, right? Uh, Jesus said that he'll be with me until the end of the age. That's what the Bible says. And so you got to start standing in that promise that you've already received and say, look, my past is my past, but it's not going to paralyze me anymore because my God is bigger than my situation. So your past is not your potential. You got to look past your past. Secondly, you got to look past your circumstances. And this is hard. Got to look past your circumstances. We've all had crazy circumstances. I remember I was at this camp one time that uh, it was all these kids up on this mountain. It was in New Mexico. It's like 45 minutes of one to two lane road down to the nearest town. We had hundreds of kids up there doing this Christian camp. And all of a sudden, this fire had begun to spread out of control, and we had to evacuate the entire mountain. So there was smoke that had filled the air. There was ash floating around in the air. It was just pandemonium crazy, right? And we, we just didn't know what was going to happen. This fire it was drought conditions, and it was spreading so fast. We were seriously concerned for the safety of all these kids. 
So I remember like, I'm up there, the camp counselor grabbing all of us, and he's like, get, we gotta get these kids loaded up, we gotta get them loaded up right now. You know, and within 30 minutes, we gotta be going down off this mountain, doesn't matter. Leave whatever you gotta leave, right? We gotta, so we're trying to get the kids ready, you know, they're trying to get them to pack up, they're crying, well, I'm talking to my mommy. I'm like, you're never gonna see your mom again if you don't pack your bag, you know? Let's go, get on the bus, everybody on the bus, right? So we get the kids all loaded up. I get them on this people mover, it's like a, it's bigger than a van, but it's not quite as big as a bus, you know? I get them all sort of, that was one of my jobs, I get them all loaded up. And then I run over to the camp director. I'm like, I got them all on the people mover. What do you want me to do? And I remember he looked at me and he had terror in his eyes. And he's like, you got to drive the kids. I'm like, Hey, Whoa, I'm like 20 years old. I don't have a license. All these little kids. I've never driven a people mover. I don't know. He grabbed me by the shirt and he's like, drive. Okay, I'm gonna drive, right? So I run over, I get in the people mover, and at this point I'm I'm hyperventilating, I've been running all over this mountain, and you know, so I remember like I'm driving down this, I'm driving this vehicle I shouldn't be driving with all these kids, all these parents' most precious possessions right there in the car, this ash in the air, smoke in the air, it's nasty. I don't know if we're all gonna be burned alive. I'm, and I got 45 minutes of this windy road. And I'm hyperventilating. So what do you do when you're hyperventilating? I, I found this little brown paper lunch sack that was in this people mover and I start breathing into it because that's what you're supposed to do when you're hyperventilating. So I remember I'm like, I'm like driving with one hand illegally and I'm breathing with my, I got my other hand over my face, breathing into this bag, just trying to not hyperventilate in the moment. And so we start winding our way down this mountain road and then I hear from the back of the bus, Judd, so-and-so just threw up. And you know what my first thought was? I can't deal with that right now. I got, I'm sorry. We're not stopping. You know, like this, this bus is going down the road. I can't handle that right now. I got other things to deal with. And then I hear again, so-and-so just threw up too. Look, I cannot deal with it. And I, so we just kept going, and then another kid threw up. And I, I knew it was significant when I looked down, and the vom was, like, all the way to the front of the bus. You know what I'm saying? Just wrong, right? It's like, this is nasty. Like, kids are throwing up. Kids are sick. I'm going really fast on these curvy roads. You know, it's smoke in the air. Like, this is bad. So I look over, and there's this whole bag of paper, uh, little brown paper bag, lunch bags. And I grab this. I stick it in this seventh grader's lap. I'm like... Every kid gets a bag. Every face goes in a bag. Every kid breathes in a bag. If, every, if any kid throws up, he throws up in the bag, and then we'll give you a new bag that you can throw up in, right? So I remember driving, and I look up in the rearview mirror, and here's all these, like, sixth and seventh graders scared out of their mind, breathing into these bags. You know, they don't know what's going to happen. It was bad. We finally get to the base of this mountain, and we get out of this people mover, people slipping and sliding, and it was the grossest thing you've ever seen. I got kids laying on the ground. I got kids dry heaving because there's nothing left in there. I mean, it was wrong. And then I remember we, I got them all together. I said, you know what? Let's all, let's all circle up now. Let's talk about the story we're going to tell our parents. <laughs> let's at least make sure this is on the same page, right? Let's get on the same page. <laughs> That doesn't happen at people's church, in case you're wondering. You guys, you guys do it right. But, you know, that's just life, man. That is life. Sometimes life 
situations happen, you got to evacuate, right? Sometimes all of a sudden you got to load everything that you have up and you got to go. Sometimes God leads you to do things. You don't even understand it. You're out there. Sometimes you get sick along the way. Sometimes it's gross. Sometimes you got drama coming from your family, from your tribe, from the back of the vehicle. And you're like, I, 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 no, I can't deal with your crazy right now. I got enough crazy, right? I'm just trying to not hyperventilate as I am, right? I can't, I can't deal with all that. Any of you got the crazy uncle that like, creates drama and then comes in and fixes the drama and then looks like the hero and then as soon as that's over he goes over here and creates drama again you know what we call those people those are crazy makers I got a few of those in my family and I'm like here goes the crazy you don't have that that's life though Sometimes you're just driving down that windy road and everything gets crazy and everything feels crazy and you and I face a faith choice. Are we going to let our circumstances and the crazy we're going through right now define us and define our situation or are we going to allow our God to define us and to define our situation? Here's Rahab. She's a prostitute. She's got no authority or power. She's a woman in a culture and a time when women had no uh, influence, authority, power, right? She's, she's in a tough situation. The Israelites have surrounded the camp and uh, the city and may well destroy it. She's not sure what her future holds. She's now put her faith on the line to protect the spies. So she's vulnerable, right? Like she's out there. She's extended out there. This is tough stuff. Her circumstances are hard. And yet, she makes this statement, the Lord your God is the supreme God of heaven and earth. Now, let me ask you this. Can you make that statement in your heart and in your life today? Some of you may be at a spiritual place where you haven't quite crossed that line of faith, and you're welcome at people's church. It's okay. You can talk to people, journey that out. We're just thrilled that you're here. Others of you have crossed that line of faith and made that declaration where you've said, you know, the Lord is the supreme God, the, the, the God of heaven and earth. And I would suggest to you today that if you believe that, then you forfeit the right to define your life by your circumstances. That once you cross that line of faith, your responsibility now, my responsibility is to define my life by my God and my faith in him. And my God is bigger than my circumstances. So that wall, no matter how tall it is, that wall doesn't define you. That barrier, no matter how difficult it is, the barrier doesn't define you. Your God defines you, right? You know, the bully doesn't define you. God defines you. What others have said about you doesn't define you. What God says about you is what's most important and what defines you. How other people treat you doesn't define you because of who God is and who he says about you. And as long as we're trying to find all of our fulfillment, respect, encouragement, security from other people, we're going to be disappointed. But as soon as we start finding that in the supreme God of heaven and earth and we realize he loves me he cares about me he's he's working in my life he's given me a new identity it starts to change how we look at our circumstances and at our situation look at this Joshua chapter 6 verse 22 it says meanwhile Joshua said to the two spies Keep your promise. So the wall's about to come down. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all of her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all their relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. This is big because she didn't know for sure if they were going to keep their word. She, she didn't know. 
And it's not like God showed up really early. God doesn't show up really early very often. Have you noticed this? Like the Israelites, no, no, don't, 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 don't rescue Rahab before the Israelites surround the camp. No way. Wait until not only they've surrounded the camp, but the walls are falling down, chaos is resulting, and it's over, right? And then, look, God's rarely early, but he's never late. And he shows up and rescues her and her whole family. So much so that we read in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament that Rahab, a prostitute, mind you, is in the hall of faith. You've heard of the hall of fame. Well, the hall of faith, Abraham, Moses, Noah, all these incredible people of faith, right? And then we read about Rahab right there along with them. She becomes the stuff of legend because she didn't let her circumstances define her. She didn't let her past define her. She looked past her past, past her circumstances, and then she looked past her weakness. She looked past her weakness. It's interesting, the, the early commentators of the Old Testament, the Jewish commentators, some of them really wrestle with this story in Joshua chapter 6. Because I say, look, the whole direction of Joshua chapter 6 is, this is a story about God moving into the promised land, the Israelites moving into the promised land. This has nothing to do with Rahab. Like, why is all this conversation happening about a prostitute? This is really all about the story of God moving in to this new land. And so they were a little bothered by the fact that if in the original Hebrew language, 86 words in the Hebrew language are dedicated to the story of Rahab, one person's story, and a prostitute, and a woman. And then on the other hand, 102 words are given to the entire fall of the city of Jericho. So early commentators were like, What's all this conversation about Rahab? She gets almost as much press time as the entire fall of the city of Jericho. And I think it's beautiful because Rahab is the victory of God and represents the victory of God in all of our lives. Maybe we focus too much in our lives on conquest and power when God's focused on restoration and redemption, right? Maybe we focus too much on a person's past and not enough on the potential of who God can create them and work in their life to be. Maybe we sentence people too quickly to judgments based on their circumstances, right? Rather than realizing God can do miraculous, powerful things in their lives. Maybe we look at the walls that are in front of people and we forget about the God who's so much bigger than the wall, who can bring the wall down and do incredible things in your life and in mine. Now, Rahab's there for a purpose. Rahab has as much words in the Old Testament as the entire fall of the city of Jericho because God is about a different kind of victory in our lives. God stretches us and pulls us to grow in his grace and his strength and his power. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Paul's up against a wall. Paul in the New Testament is frustrated, he's hurting, he's going through difficult situations. He prays to God to deal with it, to take the wall down, to take it away. And you know how God responded to him? Check this out. This, look, this is why some of you are at church today. You got out of bed and you know you, 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 you drug yourself up here and you're excited and you weren't sure Pastor Herbert was going to be speaking, so you're semi-excited. But listen, he's back next week. Listen, this is why some of you got out of bed. You ready? Here it is. Paul says, this is what God said to him. My grace is all you need. Now, some of us even driving to church today thought we needed a whole lot more than just that, right? 
Some of you are in a place in your life where like your, your prayer is, God, you know, I need, I need help. I, I need money. I need to deal with this debt issue. I need a man. Some of you are like, I need help with the man I got. Some of you are like, I need to get rid of this man. I need another man. You're like, I need a woman. I need a date. I need my kids to do what I tell them to do. Good luck with that. Right? I need this drama out of my life. I, gotta, I need to get distance from this person, from this family member, right? From, from this situation. I mean, there's a lot of things we think we need, right? I need the thunder to win it. Too soon? I need the Cowboys to draft on and on and on. And, and, and here's, here's the reminder from God's word today. Look, those are all sub-needs to the greatest need. The greatest need, Paul says, that God told him is this. He said, you know, what you really need, Paul, is you don't need that wall to come down. What you really need to realize is that my grace is what you really need. Is all you really need. And even if the wall stands, my grace is all you need. In Paul's case, we don't, we don't get the sense that God took the wall down. God just said, I'm enough. Deal with the wall. My grace is all you need. He says, my power works best when? In weakness. Some of you, it's been a lot, it's been a tough run. You don't feel like you're winning right now. Some of you, you know, you're looking back on, man, I don't, I don't see all the victories I should be seeing. Like, I, I, it's been hard. It's been difficult. I just want you to know, man, that does not mean you're out of God's favor or blessing. It may just mean that he's got you right where he wants you because when you are weak, he is strong. He's stretching you because he's going to build you up stronger than ever. And when the wall comes down, you'll know God did that because I tried for years in my own power and I couldn't do that, but God did that. He says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Look past your past. Look past your circumstances. Look past your weaknesses and look to your God and let him begin to define your situation in life. He shapes your potential. Think of my friend Gabriella. She was in a tough situation in her life where her husband had faced a lot of medical bills. They didn't have insurance. Eventually, he passed away, and she's stuck with all these bills, and it just slowly reduced her to nothing. She was living out of her car with a couple kids just at the end of herself. And so she eventually got into a place where she, that she could rent weekly. And um, first day of school came about, so she sent her kids to school, but she didn't have money or anything to buy them anything. Took everything she had to get into this space and make sure they had food so they didn't have Pencils, school supplies, backpacks, nothing. And she just had enough, you know. I just, I sympathize with this, just enough. So she decided, look, I'm going to do whatever I have to do so that my kids, when they go to school on day two, have everything they need. So she set it up where she'd work the street that night. She'd prostitute herself. She'd get the money she needed to get so that her kids could have school supplies the next day. That's mother's love. She laid plans. She had everything ready. Kids got out of school. They got home. She had somebody, you know, coming over soon to watch them. And she said the kids walked in 
and they had these brand new backpacks on. You guys do this, you know, you send backpacks out into your community, you do backpack drives, you do things to help under-resourced kids, and you know what, they, they, she had a, they had brand new backpacks, and she's like, where'd you get these backpacks? And they walked up, they had all new school supplies in them, and they opened them up, and it was from uh, our church, it was a letter that just said, hey, you know, it's a gift from our church, and she said she took that letter, she clutched it to her heart, and she said for the first time in years, she felt like God had not abandoned her. People's Church, that's the kind of hope you bring. Every small act of service, every time you step up and give and are generous, every time you use your gifts and your abilities to touch them, that's the kind of hope you bring. You never know where that's going to go. That's just a backpack. That's 10 bucks, 15 bucks. If I knew for 15 bucks that would do something like that in somebody's life, I'd be giving it as much as I could all day, every day. But you're making that kind of difference. So she called our church to thank us, not to ask us for anything. And then she started to attend. She was rough. I remember she started coming in. She wasn't sure about any of this stuff. She kind of left the faith a long time ago. And all that she had been through, all the circumstances, all the past, all the drama, her husband's death, like, she was kind of done. And then over time, like, faith, God, spirit just started to work in her heart started to grow faith in her heart and in her life and her whole countenance started to change and she started to change her life i remember we helped her get moved out of this uh, this weekly place into an actual apartment and uh helped her get dishes forks knives basic things for her kids you know dinner a dining room a little table you know where they could eat and then she was able to get a job to start trying to provide we were able to get some help to come alongside her and help her with some of the legal fees and you know some of the just overwhelming insurance claims and all these things that were still sort of hanging in there from her parents i remember the day she was baptized and the smile on her face and the joy in her face what god had done in her life he had rescued her and her past isn't her potential, and her circumstances didn't define her. Her God and the people of God came around her, and she rose up. <laughs> Friends, God can raise you up. Maybe for some of you today, next weekend is a baptism opportunity here at People's Church. Maybe you've never taken that step in your life. And you know what baptism does? It gives you this visible marker. It's a picture of what God does in your heart. But baptism gives you this visible marker. Look, I'm not my past. I'm not my mistakes. I'm not my failure. And I remember my baptism as one of those markers where I look back and go, I am new in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to live according to who God says I am, not according to the past and who the past says I am. You don't need to get it all worked out to be baptized. Remember years ago, my neighbor said, Pastor Judge, you know, I'm, I'm going to get baptized once I get my life together. And I remember putting my arm around him. I said, that's never going to happen. You're never going to get your life together. We don't get our life together outside of the community and help of other people and the help of God. You don't do that on your own and then show up at church. What's the point of that? Right? I said, you... you you come as you are with all your drunk, your problems, your addiction, your struggle, your sin, whatever, and you bring that to God. And baptism is a way that you're saying, God, look, I can't get my life together on my own. I need your help so that I can get my life together. I don't have it all worked out, but I'm surrendering myself to you, and I need you. 
For some of you, next week is an opportunity to do that, to mark it as a time you will never forget that you are more than your past and you are more than your circumstances. You're who God says you are. Maybe for others of you, you've just allowed that past to speak so much into your heart and life that you've gotten a little paralyzed. You've started to settle. You've started to think, this is as far as I'm ever going to go. This is as much as I'm ever going to accomplish. This is the most I'm ever going to do because this is who I am, because this is who my mama was, because this is who my dad was, because this is where we come from, right? We go down the list, and maybe it's just time to stop. Just stop. Say, I'm not going to be defined by that anymore. I'm going to be defined by who God says I am. God can bring that wall down. Maybe some of you have been in a place where you're weak. Don't have a lot of strength right now, and that's okay. You may be right where God wants you. He may be bringing you, breaking some things down so that he can build you up. But friends, I want you to remember when you're weak, that's precisely when he's strong. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you right now. May just mean you're weak right now. But you're going to come back stronger because you're not dead yet, so you're not done yet. Come on. You're not dead yet. You're not done yet. Last part of that chapter isn't written yet. And everybody around you can start judging you. Everybody around you can start writing the last part of that chapter. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? But they're not God. They don't get to write the last chapter. God's not finished with you yet. Wherever you're at today, will you surrender to him? Let him move and work in your life. Let's pray together. God, thank you.